Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So I'm still following up a little bit from Ash Wednesday, and I remember I got in here this morning, the morning of Ash Wednesday, I walked in, and Lent, when it finally, like, like from January up until whenever Lent starts, it's kind of this, all right, we got this, got all this, all this programming to get done, I got to get worship done, and I got to get all the teaching done, I got to get all this stuff organized, but then Ash Wednesday comes, and it is, for me, one of those, I call it a deep breath moment, you walk in, the, like I walked in the church at six o'clock that morning, and you walk in and you just go, here we go. You ever have a deep breath moment kind of like that, where you're just like, you know you're standing on the threshold of something of value, and you see it and you're just like, here we go. I was thinking about a couple of these in my life. One of them was the first time that I was dropped off for a Fellowship of Christian Athletes roller hockey camp. I'd gone to a couple baseball camps, but like this was a completely different sport, and I never really played hockey against anybody who wasn't my brother. So I'm like, I'm really excited about this. Like, let's go see if I can be a hockey player. And I remember getting on the bus and just being like, well, we gonna figure this out one way or the other. You know how that went. I remember feeling this way. My parents dropped me off for college. Go Bears or Sinus College. I can see them pulling around the quad, and I remember them disappearing behind the corner, and I remember this deep breath moment as I'm standing outside the door going, Welp, here we go. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back into my room, and the next four years are up to me. I felt this when I went, the first time I went to a monastery. We, my mom and I drove to Arkansas, and I remember getting in the car, and there was an initial moment of like, I don't know what we're going to find, but we're going to do this together. But I remember driving through Huntington, West Virginia. We got that far out, and I remember panicking. I'm like, what am I doing out here on the other side of West Virginia? Where am I going? Kayla was born at that point, yes? Yeah, she was pregnant with Charlotte. So I'm like, I've got a little baby and a wife. What am I doing? So we had to regroup a little bit, and it was this moment right outside of Marshall University, interestingly enough, where I went, well, you're going to go forward. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most meaningful, it it remains sort of a core adult memory for me. But you have those moments, right? Those deep breath moments where you're like, well, one way or the other, here we go. It's a sense that what is ahead of us, we want it to change our lives. and, And isn't this amazing? It's a little weird and mysterious that we have built inside of us this sense Like that we do stand on the threshold of something meaningful. It's like we can see, I don't want to say we can see into the future, but there's a sense in which we sense moments that matter. Sometimes we're surprised, but other times we're like, I know what I'm getting into. This matters. And we want to respond to those things well, yes? I mean, I don't know what your moments have been, But I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if you're a student, a new school year, you're like, well, here we go. You know, maybe at work, it's like a promotion. Like, you know, you're stepping into something different and you got to, you're going to have to, you have to learn new skills. You got to figure it out. Here we go. Maybe it's a diagnosis for you. You're just like, wow, this is, this is going to be different. What do we do? 
Maybe it's a new discipline in your life. You're like, I got to do this. I got I to invest in this. You know, maybe it's a new house or, or you're pregnant and there's another child coming and you're just like, my life's about to change. We sense these and we desire them to matter because we want to live a life that is going somewhere towards a positive end, yes? So the best advice that I ever got about growth, about how we handle these moments that change us, best advice I ever got was, if you want to go quick, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with others. Anybody ever heard this? All right, a couple of you nodding at me. If you want to go quick, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with others. And friends, I'm here to tell you, at the beginning of Lent, and at all of these seasons of change in our lives, going at it alone is the surest way to blah. Going at it alone is the surest way to blah. And here, at the beginning of Lent, the surest way to blah is to keep things private, to not learn, to not share, to not discern where we're at. And so the question here at the beginning of Lent is, how do we accomplish this life change together? And I'm not just talking about how do we be more religious. I'm saying how do we practice a meaningful life that shapes my family and my work and my leisure and my long-term goals? All of it. I don't just want to be religious people. I'm pro-religion, but it's not just what, how do I be better about Sunday mornings. It's how do I live a life of deep meaning. We want to be deep people, and we want to be people who go far. And so starting today, we're going to start a sermon series through Lent that we're calling If You Want to Go Far. And we'll discover what going far might look like by exploring the stories of our faith. And we'll be exploring in Scripture a series of long journeys. Some successful, some not. But all of them will be companions to us, so we're going far with others. And I suspect they may have something to teach us about how we, as individuals and as a community, go far together. And so let's set out. When we set out, there's always, right, this surge of energy right? You always see like, all right, let's go. There's always this enthusiasm. <clears throat> and that is important because it's about doing something. So let's talk about motivation. Right here at the beginning, let's talk about motivation. What is motivation? Motivation, psychologists tell us, is nothing more or less than the desire for change. Seems to be a part of who we are. As humans, we desire change. Even if sometimes we press against it, we still believe that there's always something better ahead of us. Whether it's in our lives or in the world, we're like, this can't be it. There's something else. We seem to be wired for change. And as long as we can see what better might be, and we might sometimes disagree on what better might be, but as long as we have some sense of what it is, we maintain some kind of motivation. But most of us also know that motivation can be the biggest kill switch on meaningful change because as soon as it's gone, it seems like our desire for change is gone and our motivation to do anything of meaning. Without motivation, we cannot see a preferred future or a better reality. And without a vision in front of us, what's the point? Particularly if the road is hard. So here at the beginning, let us ask, where does good motivation come from? Motivation that's deep and powerful and lasting. And so the journey that I want to talk about is the journey of the Exodus. Go big or go home right out of the gate, right? 
Exodus, the story of the Exodus may be the longest journey in Scripture, at least distance-wise. I mean, time-wise, it also took them over 40 years to get from A to B. So it's a legitimate journey. But you remember where this story starts, right? It starts with the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt. Confirmand, stick in with it. We just talked about this. All right, you guys hang in with me, all right? And we t- they're enslaved in Egypt. God sends Moses to get them out. And through a series of miracles, some are the plagues, some are Passover, and then finally the Red Sea where God splits the sea in two. The people of Israel go through on dry land. The sea collapses on their enemies, and they move from slavery through the water into freedom. It's this wonderful story. But here's the thing. To be free is a long way from having an identity and from being a people. Just because we're free doesn't mean we know who we are. Freedom all by itself isn't a life. It's not a purpose. It's just kind of a thing. It takes more than freedom to know who we are. And this is true for Israel. Now they're standing on the other side looking back at their past in Egypt and going, what do we do now? And so their journey, as long as that journey has been, is just starting. And that is what Mount Sinai is all about. The people walk through the wilderness until they come to the mountain. It's called the mountain of the Lord. And here at Sinai, they are going to figure out what it means to be a people. And Sinai has a particular shape. The story is intended to teach us something. When the people of Israel get to Sinai, notice what they don't do, church. They don't have committee meetings. Isn't that, that's good enough news for one day, right? They do not have church committee meetings. They don't get a representative from all the tribes of Israel and say, all right, fellas, what are we going to do about this? What do we want to do? What are we not going to do? No, they don't do that. God summons them to the mountain And God gives them instruction. He says, you guys are going to stay down here and you are going to be in a posture of prayer and reflection and contemplation. Because Sinai is not about Israel defining for themselves who they are. It's about hearing who God says they are. And so the question of Sinai is, who are we based on who God is? God has just delivered us. Maybe God should tell us who we are and how we ought to be in the world. Sinai teaches us that our faith isn't created. We don't create it. Our faith is received. God hands it to us. And as a church, our responsibility is to hand a faith on to others. Healthy faith is given by God, which requires listening and a quiet spirit. And that's what happens. Israel gets around the mountain And Moses goes up on the mountain. Moses goes into the very presence of God. And there, you know a little bit of this story. Moses comes down with the law, the Ten Commandments. You know, Charlton Heston or Prince of Egypt. I don't care which one you go with. All right, two tablets. He comes down. And God says to them, and it's just shorthand, and there's a lot more going on here. But for today, we'll simply say, God tells them what they are to do. And you know the Ten Commandments well. But the Ten Commandments are not the end of what God says at Sinai. And that's what kills me. We focus so much on the Ten Commandments, we forget the final command that God gives. And God says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. At the beginning of their journey, as God is forming the identity of the people of Israel, God is telling them exactly where their motivation is to come from. Life-changing motivation, life-changing conviction does not come from outside of us. It is not a book. It is not a speaker. It is not a token. It is not a lesson. It is not a person. Here at the beginning of their identity formation, God says to his people, you must love Love is who you are, and you must love the Lord your God with everything you have. This motivation, this picture of a preferred future has got to come from inside of you. It has to be love at the heart of everything you do. Israel learned this. We've, not us, we culturally have forgotten this. Modernity and the Enlightenment, yes, I'm doing a little philosophy here, hang with me. And, and the Enlightenment modernity has left us in the dust and it's now dated, but it still remains influential. Modernity taught us that who are we at our core? It taught us that we are thinking creatures. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Our existence is rooted in what we think. And so, and if you play that out, then what, what that means is that if I am a good Christian, if I'm following God, that means I believe right or I think right. And, but we are now in a society that has never known more cognitively and has never experienced a, more of a lack of meaning or purpose. What we think cannot support us. And our stories do not teach us that we are primarily creatures who think. Knowledge is not the issue. Our stories teach us that we are a people driven, motivated by what we love. We are a loving creation. We are what we love. And those deepest loves form our identity. They are what we pledge our allegiance to. They become our self-understanding. When people ask us, I know it's a weird kind of way of putting it, but like, who are you? Well, our answer is our identity. And our ultimate loves, our deepest loves, become what we worship. Friends, I'm here to tell you, we worship in lots of different ways that have nothing to do with church. And sometimes we think that we are following God when in fact our heart is not aligned with God. And sometimes our true identity and our true worship pulls against God's call to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Sinai asks us, who do you love? We don't love the commandments. We don't love what God tells us to do. We love the stories of what God has done in our lives. And this is why God gives the command. Tell those stories. Tell them to your kids. Tell them on the road. Tell them at home. Write them on your doorpost. Make sure you remember the stories. And if you remember what it is that you love, the doing is not that hard. And if you doubt me or have questions about this, this is the story of the disciples. 
They are out all night. They have caught nothing. And as a former dairy farmer, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that Peter and his boys are sitting there cleaning all of their gear, and Jesus says, get it back out. I want you to go back. I just cleaned it. Like, I don't think we think about that. And some of you are smiling at me. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're telling me, I just cleaned all this. My day is done. You're telling me to head back out. And Jesus is like, yeah, actually, I am. And you've heard this story. He goes out, and there is this catastrophic catch of fish. And Peter's response is this remarkable one. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. And it tells us that Peter ultimately decides to follow Jesus. Jesus promises him, you are going to go and you are going to catch people. But you understand, think about it from Peter's perspective. Peter is not responding to Jesus out of some moral obligation. He's just met the guy. He's not saying, oh, I have to do these things. And he doesn't know who Jesus is. All he knows is what he's seen. And now he has a story of what this man Jesus has done for him. And in this moment, Peter's imagination is captured. He's seen and experienced something of God. And when he cries out, depart from me, it's not moral condescension. He's not saying, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible man. No, he's in the presence of divinity and is an expression of awe before the power of the divine. It's less, I'm a sinful man, and more like, you understand what I'm saying? Get out of here. I can't believe what I just saw. Stop it. This is amazing. It's more fascinating than it is fearful. He says, depart from me, but he ends up following Jesus. His heart is swelled to the point where his imagination is enlivened and he can do nothing else but follow. So much of what we try to do to keep ourselves on the right path, we try to find motivation in obligation rather than in passion, rather than in conviction. But here's the good news for you today, friends. As we set out on Lent, it is not that you are seeking God. It is that all this time God has been seeking you. And once you see it, once you have an experience of that, you can never unsee it. And I bet as you sit here today, you have that story. That story where you caught a glimpse of something incredible in your life. And you knew, you may not understand it entirely, but you knew it was something of God that was happening in that moment. You've experienced the power and presence of God in some way, and it called to you. It moved you in a way that you've never been moved before. It inspired you in a way that you've never been inspired before, and it was deep. It spoke to the deepest part of who you are. And to this day, you can't shake it. Maybe it was a moment, maybe it was a season in your life, but it was some time or place that Jesus Christ caught your eye. And in that split second... You caught enough of a glimpse that you're like, you know what? I bet following that will change my life forever. What keeps you coming back isn't just trying to drive ahead. What, what motivates us and what keeps us going forward is the stuff that is behind us. What has God done for me? And that pushes us ahead. Not what you've done, but what God has done for you. And so if you want to go far, you need to tell that story. And you need to come back to that story often. 
Zig Ziglar is a popular motivational speaker, died a couple years ago. He says, people often say that motivation doesn't last. He says, well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Tell the stories of God's goodness daily. Israel does this to this day with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you've ever been in a synagogue, they don't post the Ten Commandments. They post this. Love the Lord your God. Jesus, Psalm 66 says, come and hear. I will tell what God has done for me. Jesus tells in Mark, he heals a man and he tells the man, tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. Now, as an aside, church, don't get this confused with, here's what we used to do. I remember back in the day, we used to do this, we used to do that. I remember these memories. No, don't tell what we did, tell what God has done. And telling that story over and over and over again will grow love in your hearts, in your guts, and you will start to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And telling that story will motivate you enough for today, and by the way, telling that story will keep others going. Because when I'm weak and I can't remember my own stories, your stories change my life. And we can remind one another. We don't have to go at it alone. And so as you set out on Lent, find that story that you are going to tell yourself about what God has done for you. And as soon as you see that, watch your imagination open for what God may have in front of you. And like the Shema, this story that, they kept com- that our Jewish brothers and sisters constantly come back to, reminding us to love, communion is also one of those deep breath moments. <sighs> Here we go. It is a core story of our faith. And I don't know about you, but when I come to the communion table, whether I'm coming this direction or I'm coming down off of this direction, I get to serve it. Regardless, I want communion to change me because I believe it is life-changing. And so we remember this story that is behind us that it might push us forward. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, it's not what we do. It's about what Christ is doing for us. Christ is giving the entirety of his life, his very body, his love for us in this meal. And how we respond, we'll figure that out. But we can be open to the fact that God is moving in our lives that have nothing to do with us. God is seeking us. And maybe our response will be the same as Peter's. Depart from me, for I am a sinner. Yes, we become aware of our brokenness, but really it's our eyes open to the fascinating things that God may yet have in front of us. And once we have that motivation, that love inside of us that isn't ours, it's Christ, we are now ready for the journey. Let us as a congregation find our core passion for Christ because it is critical to everything we do. And it is critical for our work in the world. And it's critical for living a faith that changes your life and mine and changes the world.